Welcome to the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. Joining me as always is Felix Sharp and Kyrie Demos. And, you know, brought to you by Campus to Canton or part, you know, halfway sponsored with this with the RSP. You know, you can play both sides in C2C leagues where you can play both the college standpoint um, and have a college team that transitions over to an NFL team. It's a great way to play. It's a great way to get ready for the NFL and learn about these prospects and to be able to, you know, kind of get ahead and really understand about how these guys develop from being high-end prospects recruited to the college level and then how they how they fare migrating to the NFL level. Um, you know, we just did a podcast, Felix, that that we do, you know, where every week we talk about a prospect and give you guys a chance to maybe get in ahead of a lot of your peers in those. We have to be ahead of our peers because, you know, we've got these guys rostered already. So we might need to trade them. We might need to trade for them. We need to discover what their value is now. And Matt, that's what you're helping us do every single week uh, on the exclusive NIL podcast feed. I will say that college football is like the center of the – it's the biggest – it's not even the biggest story in sports right now. It's one of the biggest storylines in the country, period. Deion Sanders is getting interviewed on 60 Minutes. Um, you know, Good Morning America is leading with the Colorado Buffaloes. It's bringing more n- new eyes uh, to the college football game. So if you haven't participated in a campus to Canton league and, you know, maybe Coach Prime has uh, – Hold you in just to watch the spectacle. Well, you need to try a C2C league because you can have his son rostered. He's a quarterback, white like the quarterback three on the season, averaging 40 something points per game before that Colorado or that, that Oregon game. But um, I'm excited about college football. I'm excited about the uh, attention and the, um, uh, the eyeball. I mean, the, Colorado's games are doing better numbers than. Lots of NFL games yeah. right now. So uh, if you're watching college football for the first time, come on. Come on and try it. You should dip your toe in. It's a good time. Well, listen, you know, we're going to transition from the the brightest man in the room with me being the second dimmest person in the room and not, not a reflection on maybe mindset here, but to the dimmest, the, the man who's got the lights down low tonight, you know, Kyrie Demo, Demos, who... You know, was, you know, doing a great job on his weekly column at the RSP, Towing the Line. And one of the guys that he brought up that I thought, you know, I kind of want to watch him this weekend. And I hadn't had a chance to was Malik Neighbors, who was who we talked about in the um, in the podcast earlier. That'll be exclusive to to the C to C um, subscribers. So if you want to get an early jump on some of these guys to keep an eye on, you definitely got to keep an eye out for for Kyrie's work. So, you know, Kyrie, tell tell folks a little bit about who you profiled last week in addition to neighbors cuz you had some you had some fun folks to to talk about. Yeah, no. Well, first off, thank you for the intro and I I am not a locked character. <laughs> You're on mute. Kyrie, you just muted you just muted yourself, Kyrie. Can you can there you hear me now? You're good now. Yep. The initiation okay. is over now, so we're good. So um, but, you know, just, just talking a little bit about, you know, some of those guys um, that we that I had in the column last week, you know, 
first and foremost, you know, I just got to start with Malik Neighbors. Um, I mean, one of the silky, smooth receivers out there. And, you know, what I mentioned in my toe on the line column really is that, you know, he's a guy to me, it's similar to a Devontae Adams, similar to a, you know, a, a Keenan Allen, um, a DeAndre Hopkins of, you know, a guy, you know, that that's able to win downfield, but it's not a burner by any stretch of the word, but just finds ways to get get open. And, and, and I, I'm a big fan of route runners. I know not everybody's necessarily the biggest fan of it. And, you know, maybe some guys are looked at as, you know, hey, maybe they if you, if you put a, a speed guy on them, you know, they can lock them up a little bit. But, you know, I, I think, you know, being able to see a guy who, you know, wins in the contested catch, catch game, um, wins, you know, with, with his route running um, is really just a true technician, um, you know, similar to even like a an Amari Cooper. And I know Amari Cooper might even be considered more of a burner than some of those other guys I've mentioned. But, you know, to me, I think Malik Neighbors is just a guy that, um, you know, he's shown. I mean, if the last two weeks haven't shown it, I don't know what will. You know, the guy has just, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, he's really um, put his stamp on, you know, just how, you know, dominant of a college receiver he is and, you know, really staked his claim as arguably the top um, receiver in all of college football. You know, there's a lot of different debates. Obviously, Marvin Harrison is out there and, um, you know, those guys at SC and those guys at uh, Washington that I know we'll be talking about shortly as well. But, um, you know, really excited to see what he does throughout the rest of the season. Um, You know, in terms of some of the other names that I was able to bring up, um, you know, you know, sticking with, you know, the guys at uh, LSU, I, I really was a fan of uh, Charles Turner, the third, the center for the Tigers. Um, really athletic profile, um, 6'4", 300. So I guess he's undersized, you know, for for some of the uh, folks out there. But, I mean, he just is able to move guys around. And I'm really excited to see what he's able to do. He's really come a long way and settled in at center. Um, started the last, I believe it's now 16 games consecutively for the Tigers at center. So uh, he's been able to make his mark there. And, you know, obviously Jaden Daniels needs somebody to be protecting him up, up front. So um, Turner has really been able to grab a, a stranglehold on that that uh, unit up front. And, you know, just talking a little bit about some of the other guys, you know, Richie Leonard, um, left guard at uh, Florida. He's a guy that, you know, it's – listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a former lineman, man, and – you know, sometimes guys just have that dog in them and some guys don't, and he has it. You yeah. know I mean, he plays with that. He plays – he really gets after it in the run game. You know, I, again, another guy that might be considered undersized, um, you know, 6'1", 6'2", in the 305 range, but he's a guy that, you know, whether it's position blocking, whether it's in the run game, whether it's in the pass pro even as well, you know, he, he showed that he can really just cover guys up. But like I said, he brings that nastiness and. You know, it's nice when you're leading the way for, you know, a dynamic back like um, like Trevor uh, Etienne, you know. So um, Etienne was another guy who caught my eye, you know, just in watching film, um, watching the Tennessee matchup from last week. Um, you know, Etienne, I think, you know, he's a smaller guy, but he's got so much explosion. Um, you know, he's similar to his brother in terms of that explosiveness, but I think he's even more, more of a uh, – uh, he's more fun-sized, I'll say. Um, than his brother, you know, he's more compact. And um, there were a couple plays that I just, I mean, I really was just in awe. Um, it was a jump cut he had in the hole. I mean, if you, you, if you pause the tape, you know, at the, the, you know, before he makes the jump cut, like it, it looks like, man, this is going to be a two yard game. He's bottled up. 
I mean, the guy literally bounces outside, avoids three defenders, then leaps over a guy, like, very casually. So I like the the, the subtle um, explosiveness, if that's even a term that we can, you know, coin here. But um, ETN's a guy I think that, you know, if he keeps putting it together, he's going to be joining his brother on Sundays in the near future. Um, but I don't want to hog up all the spotlight here. You know, I know there's a lot of guys we want to talk about. Um, you know, Matt, is there anybody in particular that yeah. well, you let's, wanted to, to, to get to? No, and that was great. I mean, I would definitely encourage you guys to watch ETN. I, you know, out of the skill options that, that we talked about there, uh, he was definitely a fun watch from your profile. And you provide a lot of film clips with those guys so that people can see what you're talking about and referring to. Um, I think, you know, for our show, we want to talk a little bit about Michael P um, Penix. We want to talk a little bit about Bo Nix. And then we're going to talk, and then we're going to spend some time and probably spend the rest of the show talking about Coach Prime, you know, in addition to some rookies, um, you, you know, before that. So let's let's maybe start out with, um, you know, let's begin with Bo Nix. You know, he, he obviously had, you know, they had a strong game against Colorado. They came out there and, and performed really well. Um, you know, what did you, let's start with Felix first. What did you, what have you thought about Bo Nix from what you've seen thus far? To be honest, my opinion on Bo Nix is still um, colored by his time at Auburn, you know, okay. which was bad decision-making and playmaking, et cetera. Uh, but for some reason, with the same offensive coordinator that he had at Auburn, Kenny Dillingham is not Arizona State, he revitalized his career, you know, his, his um, trajectory at Oregon. Um, I, I wish I had more context to give you on Bo Nix, but because uh, of you know, his time at Auburn, he was someone that obviously starting as a true freshman, I think I, he might even played Oregon his first, or his first game as a true freshman against Justin Herbert on national television. Kyrie is shaking his head yes. I think that that was his first game yeah. uh, as a true freshman. Um, but you know, it just kind of like, all right, well, that's a, a player. And, and and I have not reformed my opinions on Bo Nix just watching him last year with Kenny Dillingham and this year without him at Oregon. So I'm interested to hear, you know, you all's thoughts on him. Another guy who's got to be in his fifth year now, yeah. an, older, an older prospect. Um, so, you know, maybe, I'm, maybe I am missing something. Maybe he actually has. Uh, turned himself around into a legitimate early round NFL player. Um, but again, my opinion on him is still kind of colored by his time, his time at all. Well, I know this, I was having a conversation with a, with a um, big media outlet um, draft analyst. And we were talking about quarterbacks and, and he was, he, he called me cause he wanted to talk about some that he's going to be putting an article out um, tomorrow. And he said, and if you'll know who it is, if you end up reading it and you hear the phrase, and if it's in there, that Bo Nix has the least amount of fleas of the senior quarterbacks in terms of like little things to, to go off on. Doesn't He still described him as a player that had decision-making flaws that, that still carried over from Auburn. And it was tough for him to feel good about whether it was the offense that he's in at Oregon that's hiding some of the some of the fleas or, or whether they've gotten rid of some of the fleas. So 
Kyrie, tell me about what you you know what you're seeing, and I'll share some of mine at the end here too, and then we'll move on to to Penix. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Matt. You know, I really feel like that's you know very true of of uh, Bo Nix's game. You know, he's got the athleticism. You know, he he has a I wouldn't say a a, a world class arm, but you know, is capable. But the decision making really is what uh, gets me. You know, I think. There was, I mean, obviously there, there were, or the the Colorado game got a little bit out of hand, but you know, even just reviewing that tape, um, which it got lost in the midst of it all, was you know he had a really bad pick in the uh, like late in the first half, and I mean, I, just looking at it, he just stared the receiver down the entire time. Um, you know, I think he's capable enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, um, but I'm not saying I would go out of my way to draft him. You know, top 10 overall. I think the thing about today's era in the NFL is the fact that, like, your your quarterbacks, you know, in terms of what they are able to do, what tools they bring to the trade, you know, I think you, you, you're able to craft an offense around that and, and, you know, kind of hide their deficiencies versus others. Like, like for example, I think of Sam Howell. You know, he's a guy that, yes, I, I, I do believe he – can put, you know, better tape out there as he progresses here, you know, in his real first season as a starter. But, you know, he's, again, I don't know if he'll ever be a guy that's considered top 10 in the NFL in terms of, you know, true talent as the quarterback position. So, you know, I think, um, I think Bo Nix is right in that same category of player. You know, I think what one question I wanted to, to pose to you guys is, you know, what team or system do you think he could fit in, you know, Personally, I, I would love to see him in a situation like like San Fran, where he gets gets to move around, got the play action. You know, he can use his legs when he needs to, but it's a lot of quick timing routes, get the ball out of his hands, and again, use that some of that athleticism that he's shown um, as one of the strengths of his game. I think that's a great um, suggestion as a point because Nick's has done well on throws that break across the middle of the field. And San Francisco certainly has its share of routes that, that, that cross the field. So that's a good thing. I like that you brought up Sam Howell because what you're seeing with Eric Bieniemy's offense is that they're giving him easy answers in the sense of, or, and I don't mean easy like they're greasing the skids for him and, and, make, and like saying that he's needed some remedial quarterbacking, but that they're, they're making football productive and easy where it can be and that's you know trips to one side and putting three receivers in a zone occupied by two defenders and and therefore he doesn't have to manipulate the field as much he can just wait to see where the defender goes and throw to the open man and when you do that he's also now you're opening him up to not have to use as much bandwidth to manipulate and come back and then with a defender bearing down not being able to make the throw now he can he doesn't have to process that much the defender's coming in he can throw around a defender and look pretty good doing it he's still making some mistakes here and there against better defenses i mean you know terrell bernard looked so good last week dropping back you know making some of the drops that he did and him and matt milano can cover the field so well in their drops that you young quarterbacks are going to underestimate you know, if they can get that ball over the top. So when I look at a guy like Nick's, what I like about his game is he does well when you make it simple for him, like um, mirrored concepts, you know, where you have the same routes on either side of the field. 
he does a pretty good job of being able to decide, you know, who to throw to, where to go. He tends to uh, identify the most favorable coverage as the basis for his first read. Um, but when you're asking him to have breaks that work vertically or slanted breaks, um, he can have difficulty understanding which coverage has the leverage advantage uh, over him. And that's where I think he he has he can make the throw physically, but he but maybe conceptually he's not doing a good job of understanding when to throw, when not to throw. Kind of like Desmond Ritter in that sense. Or maybe Mitchell Trubisky back in the day, um, you know, as well. So if you give him enough schemed looks like RPOs, screens, spread the field and declare coverage early, I think he can be give you a workable starter if he can work you know develop in time um but there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to continue making those decisions and at some point to be a second contract starter you want someone who's going to do what we're seeing jared goff beginning to do a lot more of that he did at gal um that somehow he lost his way i was telling a children's story in my column on monday joking around that once a time there was a cow bear who wound up with a herd of lambs or with rams and wound up a lamb, you know, being trying to be made into a lamb. And, you know, you find that he was this, you know, it was like he forgot that he was tough in the pocket or people forgot that he used to be tough in the pocket and can maneuver it efficiently and take the big hit. If you heard the lead lamb talk about him, you know, you would have thought that he was scared of pressure because of that one Miami game where they're bearing down on him. Um, and if he didn't have the answers or didn't, you know, it seemed like Sean McVay wanted to feed him certain answers and kind of control everything to the point that if you're a quarterback that cedes control to your coach, maybe you get used to that and now you become codependent on it when you weren't that way before. And I think that especially with a strong personality like McVeigh, and I'm not saying that McVeigh's a bad guy for doing this. I just think it's the, the dynamic of having a very strong personality of a coach and maybe having a quarterback who's more quietly tough, but came in and wound up in a Jeff Fisher offense that people that, you know, Todd Gurley complained was a high school offense and people said he wasn't nearly ready yet. And then now he's a puppet to McVeigh and then lo and behold you know dan campbell's like we just threw everything at him because we just figured it's sink or swim let's see what he can do and no matter what they threw at him he kept absorbing it and doing well and so, next thing you know he's he's a top 10 producing quarterback who reads blitzes and finds the things that he needs to find i don't think nicks is that player and and to me if Nick's isn't that player, he's going to have to grow into it. Whereas Goff was that player, it seemed to get taken away from him. And then he had a crisis of confidence. And now he's regained that confidence because the team said, I don't know what you're doing in, in LA, but it's not going to work here. And you're going to need to do these things. And I think he was like, oh yeah, once upon a time, I was heading down this path anyway. And it was oh i can do this stuff you know and no he's never going to be an elite quarterback probably but he's going to be good whereas nicks i see him as like the if he gets drafted early he's a first contract um aspiring starter second contract journeyman 
So, so, so what about Penix? You know, Penix is your guy, Felix, you know, guy that you've talked about a lot. My same guy, I ask about him and it makes me laugh because I ask about this guy. I'm just going to tell you this, Chad Ryder over at uh, NFL.com. And, and every time I ask Chad about, uh, about Penix, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like testing him a little bit just to see where he's at. Cause I've at, at in the summer, he's like, yeah, I don't really like him. And then, then he, today it was, I like, you know, I'm, he's growing on me. Like, but his criticisms were this, he just felt like with the injuries that he's had, that he didn't, he hasn't seen enough from a movement standpoint that he didn't feel comfortable moving in the pocket when he, when pressure was on him. So I see you about to go apoplectic. So I want to see, I want to hear what your thoughts are on this, because it sounds to me like you are, you're ready to, you're ready to go. Um, I don't know where to start here. Talking about moving in the pocket. He hasn't, he hasn't really had to at Washington. Washington has protected this guy, kept him pristine. Now his offensive coordinator, Kalen DeBoer, who was with him at Indiana, knew his strengths and weaknesses and that he had to be protected. Kalen DeBoer is now the head coach uh, there at Washington. He he moved, he was great at moving in the pocket at Indiana because he had to. Those offensive lines were getting destroyed, and he would step around and be off balance and throw the ball out there to Ty Freifogel, throw the ball out there to Wap Fillier. Throw the ball out there to Peyton Hendershot, who's now uh, there with the uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I think that that's an underrated aspect of his game as a pocket passer. Is he, you know, he's not a, you know, somebody who's going to get you a whole bunch of yards. He's not Jalen Yeah. No, not at all. But um, but as far as move those subtle movements in the pocket, don't go watch his tape from Washington. He. He's going to be clean. He's going to get, he'd get three, four, five seconds to throw the ball because that out, that offensive line has been outstanding at protecting him the two years that he's been there. It's a, the exact opposite at Indiana. Terrible. Uh, it's admitted Indiana an overmatched team oftentimes. But so I are, fell in love. Are injuries a concern at all? Like that maybe the injuries have hurt him to the point that he's not comfortable moving, or is that a misnomer? I thought that injuries prevented him from um i thought that he always had mechanical issues with his feet and, be, and i thought that that was an issue because he didn't have spring um sessions spring practice to get better on his mechanics he was you know from 2018 to 2020 really when he when he left indiana or 2021 when he left indiana he had always been rehabbing from an injury so in 2018, uh, ended that season with a torn right ACL. 2019, shoulder injury. I think it was an AC joint. 2020, right ACL again uh, uh, did he go out with, and then he suffered another AC joint um, last year, I think. Okay. So, yeah, injuries have been a concern. But he did play 12 games last year, which was the first time he played 12 games. Um, uh if not for those injuries, I think that this guy would be like a top 20-ish pick lock. I haven't talked about his skills. I mean, the thing that I like about a quarterback is like his confidence. And to me, I see confidence in Michael Penix Jr. throwing to these guys who there's no like separation there. He's throwing back shoulder. He's throwing over the top. I mean, in the pretty in, – in, 
the thing about a corner a cornerback like guarding being in good position um is that ball is you turn around that ball is already there that ball is getting there quickly he has a lot of velocity on his on his throws like if you're a field corner you might be a little bit lazy because you think you have a lot of time to catch up to that ball you don't have he stressed michael Penix jr stretches defenses at every area of the field whether you know intermediate deep etc he can throw the ball deep you can put the ball on a laser with a lot of velocity again um he just stretches stresses your defense your secondary um at at every level he throws to players that are quote-unquote covered some of these players plays that you'll see from jalen polk and roma dunze they don't really i mean they don't have separation but michael Penix jr is putting the ball in the perfect position down the field uh, to allow them to make plays. You know, a lot of quarterbacks who aren't confident with giving their receivers those chances, they're not going to make put those throws into those windows. Um, so, you know, you threw me off a little bit with Chad Ryder. You're talking about my boy. I was going to sit here. I had this very nice, uh, you know, presentation on Michael Penix Jr., but he's just playing excellent football. He has 16 touchdowns through four games. He's third in the country in quarterback rating behind uh, Caleb Williams, and I can't remember who the second person is. Yes, he is a six-year senior, but I think the last – and I can't remember, Matt, if I've said this about him on this show. But the other thing that I love about him is his toughness. There's mental toughness to come back um, from each of those injuries and to perform at a high level. That If you've ever had a surgery, you, you torn up your knee or something like that, you know how difficult it is just to walk, let alone to play uh, football at a high level. But the physical toughness and focus to when he was at Indiana and playing on this overmatched, uh, this overmatched team against Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan, taking shots in the mouth when he got that, that that pressure in the pocket and still delivering the ball downfield. Go watch the, the game against Penn State. I think it was 2020 or 2021. Indiana had not beaten Penn State since like 1992 or something like that. Big upset. There was the stretch out for the uh, two-point conversion to win the game in overtime. Um, uh, that Michael Penix Jr., you know, dove and got the, the play. Like, watch that game. Watch him get hit in that game and still del- and gets up and still delivers the ball downfield. It reminds me of, um, and I can't remember which game <laughs> that it was, but we had, when I was uh, in college, uh, Cullen Finnerty. We played this team that did a lot of zero coverage, and we're like, we're just going to blitz you, and if you can throw it, good luck to you. But you're going to get hit. And I remember there was one game, it was a playoff game, and uh, our coach was basically like, we're not going to protect you. You're just going to have to get up. And and get and keep getting up because these guys are going to be open. You're going to take hits, but deliver the ball downfield. I got Cullen got got hit every single play that game and kept getting up, and kept getting up, and kept getting up. Gained a lot of respect for him uh, in that game, just because at the quarterback position you cannot, you don't get to protect yourself when you're throwing the ball downfield. And watch Michael Penix Jr. at Indiana. Or, or I'll just retweet the, the tweet where I show you him taking all this contact in the pocket and still delivering the ball downfield. He is as tough as nails. Has he dealt with injuries? Absolutely. But he is unafraid. He is unafraid to throw the ball in tight windows, to throw the ball to wide receivers who are quote-unquote covered or don't have a lot of separation. He's unafraid to throw the back shoulder. That's what I love 
about his game. Now, might he be a see-it-before-he-throws-it type quarterback? Maybe, but when you have the arm strength that he does, he can get away with with it a lot. So, I mean, those are the things that I love about his game. And I guess this is the last thing I'll say about him is that this is my Anthony Richardson this year, where there's going to be a polarizing guy once we get to draft season and people are going to have takes. This is the guy that I'm planting my flag on, but I have – Really, since 2018 sure. or nine, I, I, look, I went back and looked. Like the last, the first time I tweeted about him was like in July of 2020. So um, this is my guy this year. So Kyrie, I'm going to want you to answer after Felix answers his final question, and I'm just going to go to you and I want to hear your thoughts on on Penix because I haven't watched Penix yet. He's on my schedule, but just not not quite there yet. Um, but you know, I've enjoyed cross-examining the expert witness over here and Felix Sharp and throwing him off a little bit with this. And I'm probably going to ask one more somewhat inflammatory question probably to our esteemed counselor. Um, and when I hear all this, and I'm sympathetic when I say this, because I like this guy a lot too, and he was tough, and he came back from knee injury, and he plays well from the, you already, you already, yep. He's not even, and if I can say who it is because he has has it on mute, is I'm bringing up Carson Strong. You know what differentiates the Michael Penix story, in from the potentially from the eyes of NFL people, from the Carson Strong story that played out, um, because you know the both of us were high on Carson Strong as a player, but the knee injuries were so rough that the that nobody really wanted to sniff a chance at him. Now, I would anticipate that, well, look what Penix is doing, Penix is doing, and he doesn't look unhealthy, whereas Carson Strong, like he was playing for his career life and play, and risking further damage by playing hurt. Even if you took away the injuries from Carson Strong, he was still a slow-footed quarterback. At least he appeared to be that, you know, staying up and watching those Mountain West games to watch him and Jake Hayner, by the way. Um, Michael Penix isn't. He, and, and, and he can still move. He can still run. He can still slide in the pocket. And what you alluded to, yes, he has – he does look like he's recovered from his injuries. The other thing is level of competition. Carson Strong was at Nevada. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. has been at – played the big boys in the Big Ten and is now dominating the Pac-12 conference. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's the other thing is velocity. He's got one of the strongest arms in the country. So um, I think those three, the fact that he looks healthy, he is not a, he, he is not like, like, Carson Strong was like Drew Bledsoe. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even if he was healthy, he ain't running nowhere. Yeah. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. has more athleticism than that. And then, I, again, I would give him his, uh, his velocity. So, Kyrie, what are your thoughts on Penix so far? I'm I'm so glad that um, Felix was able to to really, you know, put me on to just how um, strong of a of a prospect Penix is. Um, a couple weeks back now, and you know, I was able to really um, I haven't uh, taken a look fully through the tape yet, but just having watched the game a little bit um, against Cal from over the weekend, you know, I think the one thing that just comes to mind with Penix is is sharpness. You know, he's he's just to me, he out of, I mean, really almost any quarterback in the country, um, that includes K Caleb Williams, that includes uh, Quinn Ewers, um, Shador Sanders. He has such a plan out there. You know, I really feel like he, when he is 
um, you know, dialed up in the pocket. He he really has total command of that offense. Um, and, you know, it, it is so interesting too. you know, the, the, the point of, oh, well, you know, he's, you know, not necessarily the most athletic because of those injuries, things like that. Right. Well, I think it's it's almost like a um, it, it's it's crazy to see that we're at this point now in, in the you know scouting and drafting community, because, um, you know, a guy, a quarterback that has physical talents and, you know, can run and get out in the move and things like that. You know, those guys are considered raw a la Anthony Richardson, a la Cam Newton, a la Johnny Manziel, right? But now we're seeing the trend of these pocket passers who, yeah, maybe they don't take off and, you know, run for 700 yards in a season and and things like that. But their best strengths are being able to attack you from the pocket and to work downfield and to, you know, be, be able to have different, platform throws, whether it's back shoulder balls, whether it's, you know, being able to, um, you know, throw a tightrope over the middle or, or, you know, being able to throw the right goal ball. Like, to me, that, again, like, it, it's like what I had mentioned about Shador Sanders. You know, like, if, if, if a quarterback's biggest weakness is the fact that he's not necessarily able to take off like he was Michael Vick in 2004, then, I mean, to be completely honest with you, that's totally fine. I mean, how many, again, like, and it's such a unique conversation for me personally because I'm a huge fan of, you know, all those mobile guys, whether it's Cam, Russ, Mike Vick, Kyler Murray, um, you know, Josh Allen being a Buffalo guy, you know, so Lamar Jackson, like I'm a fan of all those guys. But at the end of the day, you know, what we're always going to come back to is the most successful quarterbacks in the league are the ones that can line up, drop back 30 times, and pick you apart from the pocket. And, you know, yes, Penix has had his injuries. And, um, you know, yes, he is a little older, yes, but he's really hitting his peak now. And um, I think he's a guy that, you know, and and again, too, talking about the narrative behind dual threat guys, mobile guys versus pocket passers, let's be honest, Penix was considered that mobile guy before some of those injuries. You know what I mean? So, like, to, to... to just classify him as, oh, just a pocket passer. Yeah, he he might be a little bit more limited now because of some of those injuries, but let's not get it twisted. That guy has a lot of natural gifts um, with his legs, but that arm as well. So uh, I'm really excited to see more of him. I really can't wait to look at more of his tape. Um, but, yeah, he, he's, he's again, I, I think he's the – in terms of uh, quarterbacks in the league – or quarterbacks that um, – we're assuming we'll be in the league next year, um, you know, next year's uh, wonderful, wonderful quarterback class. I think he's got the cleanest game. Um, and that's even considering a guy like Caleb Williams, who I absolutely love. But, you know, he, he's got that gunslinger, rough and rowdy, you know, I'm going to make plays, you know, off platform, off schedule um, in him. So, you know, that can get him into trouble at times, whereas Michael Penix is just clean, you um, as clean as they come when it comes to his, his play. How often do we see, you know, the highly touted quarterback go in rookie drafts, go the 101, and then you got, you know, somebody go one, and then then there's Every the quarterback year. that falls to like that one. Josh, remember Josh Allen was falling to like the second round? And, uh, and Tua Tagovailoa. Tua Tagovailoa. Lamar Jackson. Lamar, and Lamar Jackson. Lamar- nobody, nobody on yes. earth. 
you would listen to them and they're like, you would think he couldn't play in the pocket and couldn't play in the NFL offense. I remember telling Russ Landy going, have you seen Lamar Jackson play from the pocket yet? He's like, no, I said, you need to go watch him. And he was like that. And he called me back after he watched him and was like, that guy is an anchor in the pocket. Like he is as tough from the pocket as any, any guy that you would look at. He's, I was like, yeah, he's got the best pocket management of any of the quarterbacks in this draft class. Like the way they're describing Josh Allen is the way actually Lamar Jackson is. And the way they were describing Lamar Jackson is actually what Josh Allen was. They both turned out to be good, but Josh Allen was the one that you needed to go, dude, calm down. Like, just calm down. Like, you know, he's like Ricky Bobby driving backwards at a hundred miles an hour. And then you, then you interview him and ask him questions. And he's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. You know, I, I don't know. I've been using that a lot lately on podcasts, but it's just like, makes me laugh. Whereas Lamar Jackson was the guy who was the most poised, the most polished in the pocket. Yeah, he didn't have Allen's arm though. But you're absolutely, absolutely on top of that. And I love how you guys both describe them. You know, describe Penix and where he's at. And just uh, us understand that it's almost like you can't win for losing. You know, you, you, you know, if you're if you're a runner, then you can't possibly be a good passer. But if you're a good pocket passer without running, well, they can't they can't create with their legs. And and Kyrie, I mean. Of course, we would expect a lineman, to, a former lineman, to say this, but it's the absolute God's honest truth, which is, it, no matter how well you can run, if you can't win from the pocket, you're not going to be a good quarterback. Um, it doesn't mean that you you can win. You, obviously, being able to win outside the pocket's great, but if you can't if you can't hang in there, if you can't maneuver it and keep your receivers on schedule. Um, then you can have some trouble winning football games. I would say Kyler Murray is a great example of a player that we may admire his gifts, but he runs he's he runs like he's got a rocket pack, like one of those um jet packs that that move very fast but without control and he's yeah, he's just all over the place and his receivers have to reroute on a level that's just exhausting probably emotionally, mentally and physically. Um, because of the fact that he can't move with control to get rid of the ball, whereas Lamar can, you know, J you know, Jalen Hurts can, you know, a number of players can, and Penix, obviously, it sounds like he can. So, with that in mind, which you, I just want to say one yeah, more one thing, thing about yeah, my please. Thing before, so uh, you watch Shador Sanders in the Colorado offense because they can't run the ball; they face a lot of rush three playing coverage in the backfield. And Shador Sanders is taking a lot of what the defense is giving is giving him. Michael Penix Jr. is also facing those those types of defenses, but is still pressing the issue downfield when Good he's contrast. getting three. Yeah. He's still he is still uh, uh pushing the ball downfield. That's all I want to say. Well, look, we got about 20 minutes left, so we're going to we'll go on to how rookies in the NFL are doing, but since we've brought up the Colorado game a few times, I want to get to this issue and give it the time that it deserves, which is kind of the kind of the cultural uproar over coach prime you know some of the things that i've seen in conversation um you know among you know some colleagues in different aspects that i've seen or from just fans or people i know who like text me here and there and it's from either side of the the divide i would say and it doesn't necessarily have to be a racial divide 
you know, in that standpoint. But I do, but I will say it's, you know, what we're seeing is that there are people who talk about Sanders bravado and his confidence. And then all that bleeds into being cocky or arrogant or that his players are arrogant or that they are, that they are out of control with their bravado and that they are, you know, and that what they did at the Oregon game and how their, their, their behavior is, is that it was glad they were put in their place by Oregon and that it was a vic somehow a bigger victory than just a ball game. Um, and it seems like there's a real divide about how people view coach prime and how he handles his players and that it's all about me, 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 me. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to get too big into the conversation myself because I want to hear what both, you know, Felix and Kyrie have to say about it. But what I will say is this, is that I think that, or at least how I'd like to start the conversation, let you guys take it wherever it needs to go, is that I think culturally there's always been this kind of thing where you, when players when players or coaches who and you have a you know and and you add race into it into america you get you get this idea of like ali muhammad ali showing his confidence and white america way back then was like he's cocky he's brash he's arrogant somebody needs to put him in his place joe frazier who was an unbelievable boxer and great fighter um ended up getting championed by a lot of white America because he was, he had a different style. He didn't, he didn't brag. He didn't boast. He didn't talk smack on the level that Ali did. Um, and while some of the things that Ali said eventually hurt Joe Frazier personally, um, you know, there's also a point when we look at how people talk smack, how my wife and I talk smack or how my wife's family talks smack and how, you know, is very different than maybe how my family talks smack, you know, from my, you know, on my side of the family, the things that, that my wife's family might say, what might offend people on my side of the family, if they didn't, weren't used to hearing it, where it doesn't mean anything. Like if the game's over and you lost, you know, or you, or you won, it's just, it's just part of the, it's part of competition. It's just a, and when I say culturally, please understand, and I'm going to say this because I think it's important coming out of my mouth that I need to say this. Let's understand that when I'm talking about, you know, maybe the difference between some differences between black culture and white culture, I'm talking about anecdotal experiences with some people because black people, just like white people or any other race are not a monolith. We are all very different individual people who may share some cultural similarities and some cultural differences but i you know i i find anecdotally that you know what coach prime does is and how he comports himself to me feels very normal in the scope on one level now that i've you know i've had you know decades of being a part of black family and friends and seeing some differences to what I see with some white people who 
otherwise take offense to some of this stuff or on maybe a deeper level white people who engage in the same exact behavior but when they see someone who's black doing it who's prominent or a group of black people doing it and prominent they don't they, they may not fully realize that it annoys them and why does it annoy them and maybe that's a deeper thing that they don't realize that maybe they shouldn't be so bothered by this but something has ingrained them into thinking that you know that this is an issue so that's my those are some ideas of starting points you know Kyrie, i would love for you to comment where you want to or take it any direction away from that if you want to um i'd just like to hear your thoughts on coach prime even ranging from why he calls himself coach prime and why he doesn't maybe do coach sanders you know or you know things like that that maybe some people may not understand and because they don't understand it they're quick to criticize as opposed to just learn and you're on mute absolutely absolutely yeah no i um man this this one hits home for me in a lot of different ways um you know, i actually saw a TikTok the other day and it was like um you know when when people are talking smack about coach prime and the guy was like it was like he it was like somebody was talking about his uncle you know and it was basically like saying you know the, the black community is really behind coach prime and you know i think there are just so many layers and levels to it you know um i mean he's a great american success story first and foremost you know he's i mean one of the most high profile athletes ever um you know i don't I, i'm still waiting for somebody to play in a super bowl in the world series in the same year you know um you know so he's already been a, a figure that's been of note but not only has he been a figure that's been of note he's already been a, a figure that's been of contentious note um in in the past you know he's a divisive name for people for and and to me it, it always makes me laugh because he he's divisive to people for a lot of the more you know low level things to be worried about right we're not talking about a guy who's gotten locked up eight times we're not talking about a guy who's been an adulterer cheating on his wife i mean unless like that's something that i'd have no idea about that i need to do my research on but like what i'm saying is we're talking about prime being criticized because he's someone that lets you know that he's good and you know let you know that you know his team is 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 coming to play no matter what the um analysts out there say about them no matter what critics say about them um you know i think one thing when it comes to prime is you know he first of all played the position in football that is most boisterous you know if you don't have a personality like that as a corner i mean most successful corners that i've either played with against seen covered they've all had some level of i'm that guy you know in them and and i respect that so much because um let me just let me just read this here uh let's see eight time all pro uh that's six first team two second team selections eight time pro bowler defensive player of the year two-time all-decade which i didn't even realize you could do but i'm assuming that's once as a returner and once as a um, corner, um, NFL all, 100 anniversary team, like all these things, right? This is this is probably the greatest to ever do it at his position, right? So you've got that. So he he's got credentials that no one 
ever will be able to reach, even when the, once these guys get to the NFL, right? So that's, there's that aspect of it. Then you look at the other side of, as a coach, he's 30 and seven all time as a head coach. He's won two division titles, or two two conference titles. Was a uh, coach of the year in the SWAT conference when you know he was coaching at Jackson State. I mean, he's literally made Colorado football so relevant in the last, you know, month alone, right? Let alone just his time there throughout the spring and everything like that. You're on mute. He factored that all in. And the fact that he's, you know, had so much success, I think that that's one layer of it as well. People don't necessarily like seeing winners, you know? And I think the fact that he has been a winner historically, whether that's that's um, he's a guy that, you know, is he he's something that people can envy, right? You know, because what he's been able to do throughout his life has been larger than life. You know, he's been someone that's really unattainable in a lot of things. I mean, look, think about it. He he has called. You mute again. Already cultivated a Hall of Fame uh, football career. You know, maybe he's on, well on his way to doing so in terms of coaching career. Um, you know, obviously what he did as a as a baseball player as well. I mean, because he's one in every facet of life. So I think when you think about that, but then you you brought it up in terms of the cultural aspect of it. You know, that's it's one thing that I've always struggled with because you know when I was an athlete. Not especially being a lineman, like I always felt like I was more subdued. I was more, you know, I was I was more reserved and humble about things. But honestly, I've always loved seeing cocky athletes because, you know, a guy like Floyd Mayweather, a guy like Terrell Owens, a guy like, you know, Coach Prime, like, you know, those guys. Yes, they they obviously like, you know, rub people the wrong way a little bit with what they're saying. But please tell me where they're please tell me that that impacted their level of greatness. Um, all those guys were great at what they did uh, for what eras they played in and, uh, or whatever eras they uh, competed in. And, you know, they, they will be looked back on in history as some of the greatest to ever do it. Same with coach prime. And is that to say that, you know, that there aren't Jerry Rice's and Jim Brown's and, you know, Peyton Manning's out there. No, but I'm, I'm sure that, you know, guys didn't necessarily love when Lawrence Taylor talked stuff about the said things and, you know, dog them, right? But, shoot, if, if you feel so boldly about it, why don't you stop them? So I, I always just get so um, bent out of shape hearing the, the, the narrative of, like, um, you know, oh, it's 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 a me, me, me thing. Because, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe some of Prime's um, antics are self-promotion, yes. But look at what he's doing in terms of generating – Revenue, not only for the Colorado football team, not all, not only for the University of Colorado, but just the simple fact that those kids are going to be able to leverage this spotlight, these opportunities, these NIL deals, you know, the this national TV revenue, um, just simply off the fact of people want to see Coach Prime, whether it's they want to see him lose or want to see him win. Um, so I, I think that needs to really be saluted and you know i'm sure part of why we're having this conversation is you know a tweet that i sent out last week about you know the fact that um 
you know, after Travis Hunter uh, got injured in the Colorado State game, you know, the, the kid from um, C State, you know, was receiving death threats. And one thing that Coach Prime made was adamant about was like, listen, you guys can, you know, rip him for, you know, maybe it's a dirty hit, maybe it's not, whatever. But like, that man, that's a young man who has a life. Let's not threaten his life because he made a play in a football game, you know, a child's game at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it does at times feel uh, culturally, um, you know, like there's a there's a you know like our culture maybe rubbing others the wrong way, um, and I and you know and it, it hurts to even say that because you know I, there have been cocky, boisterous, quote unquote, you know, athletes that aren't white, Johnny Manziel. You know, I think of Marshall Henderson um, uh, from Ole Miss, the basketball player. Um, I mean, so it, to to just boil it down to, you know, it, it again, I, I hate to boil it down, but to boil it down to, uh, it, like, I hate when he does that and, you know, he shouldn't be acting like that. I hear what you're saying, but you've got to also read the room a little bit. You know, I mean, you're, you're talking about one of the greatest to ever do it and, he could be putting together one of the greatest coaching resumes we've seen ever too. So let's pump the brakes and, and, and just let them work. Yeah. And before I hand it off to Felix, I mean, I love what you had to share and I just add a couple little points is that, you know, we look back, this goes far back to like the university of Miami. I was at the university of Miami in their eighties and Jimmy Johnson just let his players be the players that they were and decided that like, let 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 our players have the personalities that they have and it degenerated not that they degenerated in their behavior they were they were fine um but college football media and college football fans outside of the university of miami especially at notre dame let it degenerate to where they can refer to them as convicts and made it the catholics versus the convicts um when jimmy johnson was just like I'm going to let my players be player, beat the players they are. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to let them, I'm going to ask, I'm going to expect a lot from them from the field. But in terms of the, the culture that we're going to have, I'm not going to dictate the culture to the point that it's completely bundled up and hidden. You know, I'm going to let, I'm, you know, and I think that people had a problem with that um, to a certain extent. And I think that, you know, I'll add this though, you know, speaking of offensive linemen, Lance Zierlein's dad was, you know, a Super Bowl winning offensive line coach in the NFL with, you know, and he, with the Pittsburgh Steelers and played with multiple teams. He was also a combat veteran in, in Vietnam as a Marine. He loves Coach Prime because he knows that Coach Prime is an old school coach at heart who understands what winning is about, that he's a student of the game, and that he understands how to build a culture with his players. And that's the thing. Um, so for for me, I think a lot of this is just um, a lot of people being kind of indoctrinated into thinking that there's only one way to go about um, having a culture and when they see something that's different, that's boisterous, that's um, got bravado and personality 
and all these things they see it as a threat as opposed to seeing it as just another way of doing things it's not going to lead to a fight because somebody's talking smack on the field you know they the i think barstool sports showed a five minute video of what the colorado players were doing but as coach zerline's son lance zerline said he's like people should just leave this stuff alone this happens every saturday on every field everyone's talking back and forth it gets decided on the field and in two years when coach prime has a national championship contender um you know if it's that long um or if it takes three years or four years or next year um all this is going to be forgotten about to some level or they're going to find something else to be outraged about in our outraged society so Felix, take as long as you want <laughs> to share what you want to share. Yeah, and, and I'm going to try to articulate uh, as best as I can because I have a lot of different feelings about this. So I'll try to, you know, uh, uh, make sure I get a mouth here as best I can. But culture is the right right word. You know, culture is a bubble. Um, but people can be so trapped in their own bubble that they don't realize that other bubbles exists um here in america you know we like we we drive on the right side of the road we eat burgers we like our big trucks we like football i don't think that people understand that their culture or even a subculture within a culture might be different might be different um deon sanders not a unique personality in some communities might be unique to you but there are some communities that you can go in in this country he is not a unique person Everybody's ben harbour like coach brian um yes i've had you know rocket football coaches like coach coach prime and i think that and do they have nicknames they have nicknames yes we had nicknames ourselves right too. okay um there's somebody listening to this that that cannot fathom that cannot fathom the fact that if you held a gun to my head and asked me to recite a Bruce Springsteen lyric, I could not do it. It wasn't part of my culture growing up. But if you asked me to sing a Fred Hammond song or a Mary Mary song or a Donnie McClurkin song, I could do that. Um, we see this in baseball, right? We see this in baseball right now with the Hispanic players uh the the bat flipping and exuberance that they play with oh, we we don't like that because it doesn't fit into our bubble as something different that's not the right and and that's the other thing about culture is not only do we stay in our little bubble but we believe that our bubble is the right one this is the only the correct way to live so um and what we're seeing with coach prime is a refusal to assimilate to another to the bubble to the bubble of the majority um he's just refused and uh matt you talked about joe frazier muhammad ali how america embraced was it frazier and rejected ali because of muhammad ali's um well per personality it's if we go back for go back further than ali go back to 1940 kyrie familiar with branch ricky Branch Rickey, uh, Matt, I feel like you're familiar with Branch Rickey. Branch Rickey, please Branch put me Rickey, in here, sir. Branch Rickey was the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers 
who uh, integrated baseball. In 1947, <laughs> we got much like Rick George at Colorado decided that we need to get better. And how do we do that? We need to go get um, a black player or black players. We need to integrate baseball. That's what Branch, that's what Branch Ricky went to the board with uh, of the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947 or around that time. And they approved his request to integrate baseball, but they said, what did they say? They said that you have to find the right one, the right one to, uh, to integrate baseball. We all know what that means. With the comparison between Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, it was not Muhammad Ali who was the right one. It was someone who would assimilate and not make waves um, and be able to, you know, kind of take the um, take it on the chin, so to speak. Take the abuse Integrate, that was coming. Take the abuse. Take the abuse that was coming. I don't know that Muhammad Ali would have taken the abuse. I don't know that Deion Sanders would have taken the abuse. Neither one of those guys would have been the right one to integrate baseball. And if you look at, if you go read historical accounts of the time that baseball was integrated, Jackie Robinson was not considered the uh, the best Negro League player. He was not. But he was the one that was considered, you know, the, the best culture. toughest probably too to handle what Mentally toughest. Absolutely. I don't want to take that anything away from him. But he was also the player that um, would be considered to fit into the bubble yeah. the best. You know, you look at Deion Sanders, he's got Offset, he's got Cameron, he's got Wu-Tang Clan on the sideline, he's got T.O. on the sideline. <laughs> that Branch Rickey was not looking for the player that would bring Cameron and Dipset uh, to the Brooklyn <laughs> Dodgers sideline. When the, when the board said we want the right one, that is not what they were talking about. They were also not talking about the player who was most excellent. So um, I think the point that I want to make with, you know, the, the, the media's infatuation with Deion Sanders is because he is different to you. He is different to them. But as I said before, you know, there are coach primes coaching – Rock, coaching uh, uh, rocket football teams all over this country, in Kalamazoo, where I was, in Detroit, in Chicago, in Miami. Um, Atlanta. So, Atlanta, you know. So, I don't know. I Those are some points that I want that I want to uh, to make about. I don't know how to, how to conclude or wrap that up, but those are just some thoughts that I had. I thought they're great thoughts. I mean, Kyrie, do you want to add something to that? Yeah, just one quick thing. And this is something that I really don't think people even understand sometimes, too. Like, not all of the attention that Colorado's receiving is Deion Sanders going out of his way to seek that attention. Let's be very clear. Why was the Colorado Colorado State game made as big as it was? Why is that? Because what did Jay Norvell, Norvell say? Yeah, exactly. So again, like I, I totally get it. I know it's different for others like Felix shared, um, but different doesn't necessarily mean bad. And I, I just hope some people out there really understand that, you know, just because there's another way to skin a cat, um, you know, it doesn't mean that it's a black cat. Um, and I'm not trying to use any puns or anything like that, but you know what I mean? It's not just because 
the way that you've always seen things be handled aren't aren't you know the mold is being broken you know sometimes that mold needs to be broken because there needs to be a new path set forward so yeah is is Dabo Sweeney really the standard that we want to have for a college coach I don't think so in terms of his views about how players should be treated and some of the things that he said out there or um you know the guy over at Oklahoma State when he had the whole issues with uh Chuba Hubbard Mike Gundy you know and him being a grown man and being 40 and all those things that he used to be about um I mean certainly there are ways that people view as acceptable but um you you I would add another point you have to give people the room to be who they are now and how that may have changed to how they were then and I'll give you this example and I shared this funny little anecdote on Twitter about a month ago but I'll give it a little bit more detail Deion Sanders and or coach prime or Deion Sanders and I are probably about the same age I have a feeling and when we were both in our early 20s we were in very different places in life, just like we're in very different places in life right now. But we happen to have an intersection because um, where I was living at the time and, and working, he got arrested outside a, a, a grocery store late at night by some overzealous police officers. And I call them overzealous because a friend of my family was a, a former police officer in Philadelphia, a detective who dealt with these police officers uh, multiple times in the town and literally described them as overzealous and ticket happy over crazy things like pulling him over and they were ahead of him in the lane and pulling him over for speeding and claiming somehow that they could know that he was speeding um you know and he would complain about it. well sanders got arrested in front of this grocery store at about 11 30 at night in this small part of suburb of atlanta that pretty much closed down um, at, after about nine o'clock. The, the, the Kroger that was there was open till like midnight or one. He was getting medication for his significant other and parked in a fire lane. And when I tell you that I know for a fact that parking lot is closed uh, or, or is um, had nobody parked in it other than maybe some Kroger employees and it was a big parking lot, um, I know because I would drive by that on my way to the house that was I lived behind that grocery store every night when I came home from work. So I know maybe he shouldn't have parked in the fire lane. Maybe he deserved the ticket to the letter of the law. Maybe maybe Sanders argued with the officer about it and the officer got upset and arrested him and it became a big thing on the news in Atlanta. And then just that, and it was all over the place that he was a troublemaker over something that was really kind of stupid, you know, um, overall probably shouldn't, should not, should not have been arrested for what he did. It was a verbal altercation, never got physical until the police officer decided to make it physical. So about two weeks later, I'm at work and I'm in an empty, you know, lower mid-level restaurant the kind that you do order off of a menu you do sit down you do have a waiter um but pretty much the menu is the menu you know there's no special little things um it's a chain that kind of thing and i'm working there and it's a slow night and we would occasionally get some athletes that would come in 
And in walks Coach Prime at that time, Deion Sanders, with two of his friends. Both both looked like they were probably football players. They were wearing T-shirts and shorts. He was in a mustard yellow linen suit. He walks through the double doors. And when I explained to you that he acted like Ric Flair walking into an arena with the 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 Sprock Zarathustra you know theme music and walking in with his arms out and turning around as if like he was doing a wrestling shoot um I am not exaggerating in any way shape or form and it was to an empty room there was literally nobody in the lobby there was like maybe two people eating in the back um and when he sat down and I took, you know, took their orders. The two guys he were with, he was with, straightforward what they wanted. Sanders asked me question after question. He was like a fussy Sex in the City actress, on you know, basically talk asking about whether he could add this or take this or do we have to have it like that. And when I, and when I, you know, said you know, basically you know, and you expect like this is the menu. You know, there's, you know, there's not much that's going to change. All of that, and I'm just like, wow, okay, this is interesting. Then, he, then after the after the meal, he orders a milkshake, and takes a sip, and stands up, and starts to explain or say fairly loudly, as if like there was an audience there, that me and the bartender tried to spike his milkshake with alcohol, which, you know, I'm just kind of dumbstruck by all this. And I'm sharing all this that sounds very negative about him because people think about the whole attention seeking, the whole the whole behavior. And look, I thought he was an ass from that, com you know, from that thing that I met. But I can compartmentalize the difference between him being a great player and him being a young man at 22, 23 and trying to figure out where his personality fit within the realm of being that age and being immature and just like a lot of people are immature at that age still great football player still was a great student of the game still was a great baseball player and he's turned into a great coach but if it were from if i were to take that one incident and say that's who Deion sanders is at 53 thinking that i know what he is between those 30 years that have passed, I would be completely inaccurate. Are there elements about that bravado that may still be there? Are there things that he might do to grab, understand how to grab attention that might still be there, but more refined, more mature, more in a way that he figured out who he is, how he's gonna do it in a way that's gonna make the best of what that is in the same way that, you know, when I was 23 years old that maybe I could write a little bit or maybe I could communicate in a certain way, but I was more passive aggressive back then that I had things I had to learn. The 23 year old person that I was and the 53 is light years different. I'm a, I know people who are like, you're very, you're completely different than where you were then. And I think that we, a lot of times in America, we look at what we think we know of someone like, him as a player and we just have projected that forward without taking the time to understand who he is now 
And so I just kind of wanted to end my thoughts on that and say, um, don't look at him for what you saw of him as a young man. Look at him for what he's showing you as a, as a, at, at the age and experience level that he is now. Um, because I think some people are seen through a lens that's way outdated. So, you know, on that note, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this. How about each of you guys tell me what you guys have going on or if you have anything that you want to add about this and then we'll uh, we'll call it a night. Um, for me and the Campus to Canton crew, just tune into the Campus to Canton podcast feed. Saturday mornings, we've got you set with the tailgate on the Campus to Canton YouTube page uh, if you want a pregame show that is obviously uh, more player-centric as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, legacy media's team-centric approach. You should tune in. We obviously get you ready with your start-sits decisions on college fantasy and uh, player props, all that kind of stuff. So Saturday mornings on the Campus to Canton YouTube page. Check us out. Mr. Demos? Yep, I've uh, got the, the, the next Towing the Line column coming out later this week, so stay tuned for that. Um, got a couple other things uh, cooking up as well in terms of podcasting items, so I will be in touch with you all about that soon, but uh, just stay posted. But, you know, Towing the Line and, you know, more hopefully more uh, content with you guys here with um, the campus to uh, Canton um, and RSP uh, connection here, so. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to it, and... Uh... You know, thanks again for tuning in. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts that you'd like to share, you can certainly email me at mattwaldmanrsp at gmail.com. And we appreciate you tuning in as always, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>